Each episode of Keys for SLPs has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com, registered for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. A special coupon code is available for listeners of this podcast. Type the word KEYS for $20 off an audio course subscription. This audio course subscription gives access to all existing and new audio courses from speechtherapypd.com. With more than 200 hours of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it is only $59 per year with the code KEYS. Visit go speechtherapypd.com slash keys for more information and start earning ASHA CEUs today. Hello, welcome to Keys for SLPs, a weekly audio course and podcast from speechtherapypd.com, exploring keys for speech language pathologists to better serve clients throughout the lifespan. I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines, SLP and certified orofacial myologist experienced in rehab outpatient, school, and private practice settings. As a curious SLP who embraces lifelong learning, I'm excited to discuss information to help you excel as a professional. Keys for SLPs brings you experts in the field of speech-language pathology, as well as collaborative professionals and caregivers to discuss practical therapy strategies, research, challenges, triumphs, and career opportunities. Engage with a range of practitioners from young innovators to pioneers in the field of speech-language pathology as we discuss a wide variety of topics to help the inspired clinician thrive. Welcome. Before we get started, here are the financial and non-financial disclosures. Mary Beth Hines is the host of Keys for SLPs podcast and receives compensation from SpeechTherapyPD.com. She is a member of ASHA Special Interest Groups 2 and 13 and the International Association of Oral Facial Myology. Sierra Corbin is the owner of Eugene Speech Therapy. She also receives compensation for this presentation from SpeechTherapyPD.com. Sierra is a member of the ASHA Special Interest Groups for Swallowing and Swallowing Disorders, Voice Disorders, and Neurogenic Communication Disorders. She is a creator of YouTube content, a therapy group for people with Parkinson's who read to children, a Parkinson's choir, and an online voice course. As a reminder, for this live episode, to get live CEUs, you must log into your SpeechTherapyPD.com account and complete the entire course content by the end of the day today. And now here's a little bit about our guest today. Sierra Corbin is a speech-language pathologist in Eugene, Oregon. She is the owner and works at Eugene Speech Therapy, a private practice that provides services for speech, language, cognitive, voice, and swallowing disorders, as well as gender-affirming voice therapy and accent modification. Sierra is also a clinical supervisor at the University of Oregon Communication Disorders and Sciences Graduate Program, where she works with acquired language and motor speech disorders and alternative and augmentative communication. She is a certified she is certified in the McNeil Dysphagia Therapy Program, Neuromuscular Electrical Stimulation, and Phonation Resistance Exercise Training. Sierra is also a speak out provider. Sierra created Rowdy Readers, a therapy group for people with Parkinson's who read to children, a Parkinson's choir, and an online voice course. She also has a YouTube channel called Eugene Speech Therapy, dedicated to speech therapy education with 2.4 million views. Today, Sierra is here to discuss voice therapy and presbyphonia. 
Welcome, Sierra. Hi. I'm happy to be here. I am so honored to be here with you today. Since I found you on YouTube, <laughs> I feel like I'm speaking to a true celebrity. Oh, gosh. Now, tell us, how did you get into voice therapy? I opened my private practice about four years ago, and I was interested in working with people transitioning genders because that voice therapy was not offered in town, and I knew that it was a needed service. And so I decided to do the CEUs and train myself in order to see that population. And I started seeing those clients. And then around that same time, I was at the ASHA in Los Angeles, and I happened upon the speak out table that was, you know, talking about their grant for becoming a speak out provider. So I applied for that and we got it. And I went to Texas and learned speak out. And then also our local voice expert was MIA for about a year. And when he kind of did his own thing, I started getting the, all of the ENT referrals for voice clients. So it was kind of a snowball effect. And now the majority of my referrals uh, at this point in time are yeah, for voice. Wow. So the gender affirming voice therapy started four years ago, but the other voice therapy has been since then, since four years ago, or was that before? Yeah, that since then. So I may wow. have gotten a few before that, but now it's pretty frequent. Wow. I did not that I am really even doubly impressed now. <laughs> that is wonderful. Yeah. And how interesting that you are in a major university town. And four years ago, there was no one to do the gender affirming voice therapy. You know, that so that's a little, I guess, a little misleading what I said. The university does offer a group therapy for trans feminine voice. And so that's a great offering, but they have a huge wait list. And I think now they even have two groups because there's such a high need. And it is a group, it's not individual treatment and all of that. So, in terms of, outpatient providers. Yeah, it's pretty limited, unfortunately. Now there's a few more providers in town though. Well, that's great. Yeah. Good work. Okay. So what are the most prevalent voice issues that you see and treat? I happen to see a lot of MTD, muscle tension dysphonia, and a lot of VCD, vocal cord dysfunction or PVFM. And then also I'll occasionally get vocal nodules or a vocal fold paresis. Like I said, gender affirming voice, which is not a voice disorder, but it's something that we do. Aging voice. And then occasionally something like a vocal tremor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then with presbyphonia, which we're going to talk a little bit more about today, later on in the program, can you define what that is? Sure. So it is the aging voice. And essentially, B. laryngus is related to naturally occurring changes in the body as we age. So we have all these things happening, changes in our neurological system, cardiovascular system, muscular skeletal system that results in sarcopenia, which is an overall weakness, reduced strength, speed. And so that affects the voice and people will end up with vocal cord bowing, hoarseness, decreased um, longevity, decreased respiration, 
And that's briefly what, <laughs> what it is. Okay. Well, thank you for the, the clarification. Okay, so let's talk about assessments. What do you include in your perceptual voice assessments? And can you tell us about your protocol? Sure, yeah. It's pretty comprehensive. So we start out with, just like with all of our clients doing, you know, checking the medical history, doing all the background and interview. But I will say that while it's important to do interview for all of our clients and especially, you know, motivational interviewing, I feel like it's even more important for voice clients because if there's concomitant disorders, if there's a big life event or trauma or something, that affects our voice directly and it affects it today. And so there's pretty extensive interview trying to dig into their history and what they're dealing with and also getting their perspective. So how does it affect their life? Not just... Mm -hmm oh, you have vocal nodules. Let's fix that, you know? Right. And then there's some acoustic analysis. So I, I use the CAPE V. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah. Let's see. What does that stand for? Consensus Auditory Perceptual Evaluation of Voice, I believe. Okay. <laughs> CAPE oh, V. Like C-A-P-E-V. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that's, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the ways that we can kind of take data on the voice in different contexts with the different characteristics of voice. And so we listen to people with through their sustained phonation, ah and e, and then we have them speak various sentences. And each of the sentences are loaded with a certain context. So for instance, the sentence, my mama makes lemon muffins has a lot of nasal consonants. And I can see, does their voice sound different when they say that versus Peter will keep at the peak, you know, okay. it has a lot of voiceless sounds. So that helps me to kind of differentiate things. And then there's the reading passage, you know, the rainbow passage or caterpillar. Good old rainbow. <laughs> Good old rainbow that we all have memorized. I yes. think my husband knows it. <laughs> Or, you know, the grandfather passage or something. Yes. And then do some glides. I'll see what their gliding is like and see what their vocal range is. With that data, I will get their kepstral peak prominence, which is a nice way to see kind of how dysphonic their voice is. And that gives me a good objective number to work with. And then I look at their respiration. So how are they breathing? You know, are they doing using... Let's go back to that number a yeah, little bit. So that, sure. that gives you, you take all of those assessments and then they each get a number and then they get an overall evaluation number. For the CPP, I use the sustained phonation. And then I use the phrase, we were away a year ago, because that has a lot of vocalizations, which is what we need to, to track the dysphonia. Okay. And then with the Cape V, I take it all into consideration and I will say, okay, how rough is their voice? How strained is their voice? And each of those characteristics I'll give a number to. Okay. And you can do one number, but if it's really different, let's say their sustained phonations really different from their connected speech, I will give different severity levels for those things because that makes a difference in terms right. of how we treat and how we look at it. So- Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Okay. So anything else with that, with that protocol or is that? Yeah. So I keep going. <laughs> there's, there's more. Please do. 
look at how they're breathing. Are they doing clavicular breathing up here? Or, you know, are they doing good belly breaths? I will palpate and feel their muscles around their neck and inside of their thyroid notch. I will feel for a laryngeal lift during ooh. So we'll have them say ooh. And if I feel it lifting up, then that tells me there's tension happening. And so if you say ooh, ooh, your larynx should stay there. It stayed. Good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My husband is a professional singer and his lifts up and I'm, I'm like, David, you've got you've to work on this. This is the problem. But it's a way for me to get information without an x-ray. So it just gives me a little bit of information from the outside. And that's, you know, take some aerodynamic assessment, the S to Z ratio, and use a spirometer and kind of get an idea of what that's looking like. That is pretty extensive. And so that is done during the, the first session, or do you divide that evaluation into two? I can usually get it all done in the first. And then if we have time, I'll do some trials of different therapy techniques, which is also helpful to see how to move forward with therapy. And I want to give credit to Christy Knickerbocker, who's an SLP voice specialist who I've linked to because she has really great resources if you want to get into voice assessment and treatment. And I adapted her guide for my voice assessments. Okay. Okay. So you just, um, did you know her personally or you just linked in with her on Instagram? I found her somehow. Like, somehow, somehow. One of these. <laughs> well, that's great. And where is Chrissy? I don't know where she lives. Okay. Is it, isn't that nice? <laughs> We're just all friends out, out there and on the net, right? <laughs> but what I like about social media is that we're just connected to each other, you know, and she posts a lot of informative things. So yeah, go follow her on Instagram. <laughs> okay. Okay. I will. I'll, I'll, maybe we'll get her as a guest on you should. SLPs. So yeah, thank you. So from that, then do you, at the end of that assessment, you say, come back next time to review the assessment. Cause that those you've gone through a lot at the assessment. Yeah. I can usually at the end, give them an impression of what I think and I think it's important with these clients because with voice therapy, so much of the work is on them. It's not like they come in and I just fix them, you know, yes. it's like with all of our clients, but especially with voice, we use our voice all day long. And so they have to be really, really up with their home exercise plan. So from the start, I'm pretty straightforward. Like, I think that I can help you. This is what I'm seeing. I'm going to analyze all the results and then we can talk about how we move forward in the next session. Well, it's always so nice to provide that impression before people leave because they're stressed. They, they want to know, can I be helped? Is this fixable? And not have to wait a whole another week for that impression. So. Yeah. And that's a good point because so many of our clients, you maybe have, they have chronic cough or something or VCD and they have been misdiagnosed or not diagnosed for so long. And you would not believe the amount of people that come in and don't think they can be helped. And I'm like, okay, this really looks like this voice disorder. I can help you. And mm -hmm. they're, they have pretty good buy-in. Right, right. Yeah. One of my own children had exercise-induced vocal fold dysfunction. Really? Oh, wow. It took us about six months 
to get a diagnosis. Ah. So, but I was great because I ended up in an SLP's office and yeah. I, I didn't want to end up frequently <laughs> in a neurologist's office yeah. or a cardiologist or the pulmonologist. And, right. you know, after a few sessions, it was fixed. So yeah. it had a great ending, but it was very stressful. I feel very fortunate that we have such good care and it was a thorough assessment by so many people. But in the end, that's what it was. Who was and it in the end that got you to the SLP? We had pulmonology testing sent to the ENT to confirm, but then he couldn't do the laryngoscopy at that office, at laryngoscope at that office. And so I was able to get in with an SLP who had all the equipment there. She really did the final diagnosis. Okay. Because that was at her office. And yeah. did she induce the laryngospasms at all? Yes, she did. We're doing the pulmonology testing. She was on a treadmill. Mm -hmm. And you know, when a treadmill is broken or any gear is broken, it has like, <laughs> yeah. So I was sitting next to the treadmill and all of a sudden I jumped up. I'm like, that's going to break and she's going to fly off. <laughs> and the tech looked at me. She said, no, that's her voice. I'm like, oh, <gasps> oh, poor thing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we can do a whole other episode on everything that happened. But so from there, they said, you need to go to the ENT and all these take time, you know, it takes, you know, three weeks to a month in between to get the appointment. And so by the time we finally got the diagnosis, I think she initially had the issue in January and her birthday is in June. And we had it uh, diagnosed by on her actual birthday. So it was the best birthday present. Right. Totally. Yeah. That's a scary yeah. one. People think they're going to pass out or die? I mean, it's... Yes. Yes. Well, and she did pass out, which was why we were referred to some of the specialists we were referred to. Yeah. And it was um, diagnosed initially as asthma, exercise-induced asthma. And so she would get off the field, use the inhaler, and it was the stopping of exercise that was helping her, not the <laughs> inhaler. <laughs> so, that, so it's very easy to see, like now in hindsight... It's like, oh, well, it makes total sense. But in the moment, it was easy to see how we couldn't get a clear diagnosis. Right. It takes a lot of advocating on your part. Yeah. 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 Right. So back to the assessment, you give your impressions, they come back. And just out of curiosity, are your sessions a half hour or an hour? They're 45 minutes. But if I have to go to an hour, then I will. So then we get into treatment. Yeah. Yes. Let's talk about question. treatment. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you develop that treatment plan after the assessment? Yeah. So hopefully I have imaging from a laryngologist or an ENT. And currently in Eugene, we just have kind of generalist ENTs who will give me their perspective on what they can see with the naked eye. You know, are there any growths? Are the vocal cords coming together? Are the arytenoids functioning, which is good because it rules things out for me, but it doesn't give me a lot of information. However, I recently contracted with Dr. Aaron Ziegler in Portland to come down and do strobes. So I'm really excited about that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you'll have like a strobe clinic once a month and exactly. he'll come down and he'll see all your, oh, that's great. Exactly. So we're bringing that to Lane County, which is awesome because Otherwise, I'm having people go up to OHSU in Portland, which people will do, but that's a huge 
sacrifice. So anyway, I, I have imaging that I can use to kind of determine what path to take. And then I will accumulate all of my data and move forward from there. I wanted to point out that a big part of what I do for treatment is ask the client what their goals are. And so we really want to provide client-centered care, right? I mean, or else they're just not going to do therapy. They're not going to care. And so I will ask them how it affects their life, you know, and a lot of people will say, well, I can no longer sing in choir. I stopped going, you know, or when I talk to my son on the phone, I just, after 10 minutes, I have to stop. My voice just gives out. And so that's my long-term goal is, you know, the patient will return to choir (laughs) or they'll be able to talk to their son on the phone. And so that's kind of the long-term goal and short-term goals are related, but also objective. So I can track their progress, you know, based on the CPP or how their vocal quality is doing in different contexts and things like that. The voice goals are so related to the social and emotional well-being because not only was she disappointed she couldn't go to choir and sing, but her whole group of friends at choir, you know, she cut herself off from those friends. And then, of course, not being able to talk to your family members is for more than 10 minutes has a lot of implications. So totally people isolate. It can affect your not only your social, emotional life, but also your financial life. In your career. I mean, if you have vocal nodules, you can't work anymore, potentially. So it has huge implications for our clients. And so it's important to, to find out what their main goal is. Yeah, there are a lot of, even today with us being on the computer so much, there are a lot of jobs that require us to speak. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Totally. So. so your therapy plan. Yeah. Some examples may be you know, if they have MTD, common things for me to do are some... And that is muscular... Muscle muscle tension dysphonia. Mm -hmm. And there's primary and secondary. If it's primary, well, I guess you can do similar things for both. But often I will do circumlaryngeal massage. I will also teach them how to do that themselves so they can do it at home. And semi-occluded vocal tract exercises is another example of something that we do to release that tension. Vocal hygiene with almost everybody is on the treatment plan (laughs) because that's important as well. Those are just some examples, I guess. Oh, that's great. And speaking of vocal hygiene for your online voice course on your website, I, I think you mentioned that that focuses on vocal hygiene and is a general course for anyone, right? Yeah, that's a course for voice users, for any, for, you know, occupational voice users or just people who don't like their voice, which is a lot of people and they don't realize they can actually exercise their voice and learn new techniques. And yes, there is a, a portion of that that is dedicated to vocal hygiene. So how hydrated are you? Do you need a nebulizer? Do you need to drink more water? Take a vocal rest after you are are singing for a few hours or talking for a few hours, things like that. Makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we as speech language pathologists learned most of these things yeah. in, in our training. And so some of it seems very obvious to us, but it's amazing how these things are so important. Some of them are little, yeah. but they make such a big difference. Yeah, it's so true. But 
honestly, now that we're, we like through COVID transition to zoom, my voice was really being affected. I don't know about you, but I kind of like raised my voice on zoom because I think they can't hear me and it would get kind of rough and fatigued. And I had to remind myself, you know, practice what you preach, Sierra. Right, right. <laughs> Do your straw phonation and drink more water and take a break. <laughs> now tell us, so we have people listening, some might be students who haven't even taken, you know, a voice class yet, because that is a, uh, when I was in school, it was a graduate level course, not an undergraduate level course. How about you? Same. Graduate, graduate level. Okay. So tell us about straw phonation. Sure. It's one technique for semi-occluded vocal tract exercises. I'm actually holding mine because I was doing it before we started. (laughs) This is an Uvo straw, which is a great company. So it has a little opening, which is purposeful because with SOVTEs, what you want to do is impede the airflow. So when you have a system like our respiratory system, which is the lungs, which is closed off. And then at the end of that is an opening. If you breathe out with good deep breathing and then occlude the air or include the lips and impede the air so it has to flow back, it creates a a negative pressure. And that pressure is equalized above, below, and in between the vocal cords. And it's a really great way to relax the vocal cords and practice really efficient phonation. And so it's for relaxation and learning how to phonate appropriately with good vocal quality. Okay. Okay. Are you able to demonstrate it with a straw? Okay. Obviously, the breathing is just breathing out of it. And I'm pushing from my diaphragm. I'm trying not to create tension up here. And then for phonation, we'll just start usually with a sustained phonation. And then we'll do glides. And we work from there up the hierarchy, just like with everything else. So then I'll have them sometimes put it in front of their mouth or remove it while they're phonating to keep their resonance forward. Okay. So before you demonstrate, I just want to explain, because some people are going to be listening without the video. Oh yeah. So if you just want to give a few more cues to people who are just thinking about what you're doing versus seeing. Yes. So I am putting the little straw in my mouth and I'm just phonating into it saying, ooh. And then what I'm going to do next is I'm going to have the straw in my mouth and I'm going to remove it while still saying, ooh. And keeping the structure in the same placement so that I still have that good forward resonance. So okay. it sounds like this. And they may be able to, s- to hear the difference, even just audio. And that's the goal. But if a client isn't used to that and they have this tension or, or poor oral resonance, forward resonance, they may sound like this. Ah, and it's yes. like, it's come back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the goal is to practice, you know, getting the structures used to being in that position. And for that exercise, how many times a day in the home exercise program or how many repetitions at a time? Some of the research says that just a few minutes, you know, three to five minutes of doing repeated 
SOVTE work can last maybe up to an hour afterwards. So doing it before and after your speech task or your singing task or whatever it is. And I also ask clients at least at least one session sitting down for uh, a few minutes to do it every single day. But it's so easy to do throughout the day. I try and get them to do it as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of fun too. It now, is. So that, that's a little metal straw, correct? Yeah. You can use uh, a plastic straw though. Okay. It doesn't matter. Yeah. As um, long as but- you... So if it's a plastic, if a regular plastic straw, you have to kind of pinch it so that the opening is smaller. Okay. And is the length of the straw matter? It might. I wish I had a better answer for that. I want to say that it really is the diameter that probably makes the most difference. Okay. Is my impression. But the shorter straw is probably just a little bit easier to handle. Exactly. And, ca- and carry it around with you. So there's a lot of information out there on this. I also use stir straws and I'll just give those to my clients because that can be helpful too. But in the age of bands on straws, I feel bad about it. But Right, right. <laughs> we do our best, right? Yeah, exactly. Here's someone, Andrea, who is listening live tonight. And she also said, we've been straining our voice due to mask wearing as well. And I have really noticed that in this round of wearing a mask. Interestingly, I, I don't know if it's just maybe I had a little bit of a cold, a touch of a cold or something. But before when I, you know, we were wearing masks for close to a year, I wasn't really stressed or strained by it. But recently I've, maybe I'm just not used to it. I've had a harder time straining wearing that mask and unable to hear other people too. So we're all talking louder. Yeah. I think a lot of that has to do with your environment, your stress levels, how much you're talking maybe can affect it, but she's totally right. Well, talk about impedance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, those masks are impeding our voices. So that is definitely a problem. I think mm-hmm. it's extra important to care for our voices there. And I don't know if I've done this. It'd be interesting to try because you don't need a straw to do SOVTE. You can also do it with your just your lips, pursed lips, lip breathing, where you exhale with your lips just barely opened, maybe that's doable with a mask on to help Mm -hmm. relax the voice, the throat. Well, thank you. Okay. Anything else you want to mention about treatment before we dive into presbyphonia? Let's see. I have a question for you. How long do you typically see clients? Like um, overall? Like number of months. Oh, sure. Or number of sessions. With voice therapy, it's usually less than someone who has, let's say, aphasia because they'll come in, they'll learn how to do the techniques, and then they go home and do the home program. So it can be a few sessions. I mean, sometimes it's three sessions, you know, but highly variable. So Mm -hmm. people who are doing, you know, non-binary voice or feminine voice or something, that varies wildly. That could be a year or three months, (laughs) depending on where they're at and how often they practice. Okay. But I'd say in general, it's just a few sessions. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about presbyphonia. Okay. First of all, even though we're saying the aging voice, what is the typical age of onset that you see in your practice or the age that people are coming to you with presbyphonia? Probably most commonly 70 plus. When we start to notice that 
weakening, that hoarse voice. Yeah. And are most of your clients coming on their own accord or has a caregiver or a loved one or a coworker urged them? I think it's been all referrals from my ENTs probably. Okay. Which yay for them. Yes. Good work. Yes. <laughs> so want to describe the typical patient who comes in to see you? Who's, so they've already had the referral from an ENT. And has the ENT usually done the stroboscopy at that point or done any acoustic measures? They've only done an endoscopy. So they don't have access to strobe, which is why I'm so excited about bringing it to Lane County. But they've usually looked at their throat and they typically say, say, ah, (laughs) and then they stop the assessment. But they know that the client is older and has a hoarse voice. So they send them over to me and then I can say, okay, this is what I think it is. Or they have vocal cord bowing, which they can see. And I use that information to then move forward. So it's usually people who are older, who lose their voice. They have a hoarse, breathy voice and have a lot of vocal fatigue. Okay. And no other problem. I mean, you can have a concomitant problem, but they didn't have a stroke or something. So it's, it's age related. And have they, so they've gone to their ENT first and do they usually tell you as, you know, my wife told me I need to go or my, you know, friend told me I need to go, or do you find in general that they're personally very motivated? No one, no one has encouraged them. I mean, I know it's, it just depends upon the the person is kind of individual, but I'm just wondering generally what you see. That's a really good point. Some people, it's their family, but most of the time it's the individuals who can no longer communicate effectively and are motivated to change. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Which a little bit different than presbycusis. A lot of times we have family members who are urging people a little bit to more go. Right. to go to, for the hearing assessment. Right. Same with things like Parkinson's where there may be a decreased awareness Mm -hmm. and they're saying, well, my wife says I need this. (laughs) (laughs) And then you can show them that they do need help. Okay. Okay. All right. So they come into your office, they've already seen the ENT and where do you go from there? Yeah. So let's see. Before I was a Forte provider, I did my typical voice assessment and took all their data and then moved forward with something like vocal function exercises, maybe vocal adduction, working on respiration. And I will still do that if someone's not a good candidate for Forte. But now that I am a Forte provider, and again, that is phonation resistance training exercises, Okay. (laughs) Resistance training exercises. Okay. What type of training is that? I believe it's a day. I think it's just a day long training because of COVID. I did mine online. So it was really convenient. And honestly, it was one of the best trainings I've ever done. Really? It was really well done. It held my interest and they just presented the information really well. I didn't get sort of like convoluted and confusing. It was, it was well done. I learned a lot. So yeah, I I recommend it. And Forte is for the exercises. Do they also sell products or is it it strictly a training? It's just a training. Yeah. So it reviews aging voice, the mechanisms for that, and just everything you need to know in terms of candidacy. And then you 
learn in depth the concepts that it uses that make it effective, which is good to know in terms of educating your clients and just knowing what you're doing and why. It's kind of centered on what the exercise sports science world has offered us in terms of muscle change. You know, it's not really appropriate, even with dysphagia therapy, to say, well, do this 15 times twice a day and go do that. You know, you have to overload the muscles. You have to have specificity of muscles. So what muscles are you targeting? Repetition. What Forte does is we take baselines of their voice. We add on to that a higher level goal for them. And then every few weeks, we increase the goal of the DB level so that they're constantly overloading their muscles for optimal change. And what are the precautions with Forte training? So yeah. I'm sure muscle strain would be something yeah. to look out for. Right. So if they have something else going on, if in your assessment, you're like, wow, they have, because maybe they've been overcompensating for their glottal gap, you know, and maybe they have some superglottic compression. Well, you've got to treat that first. And the glottal gap is caused by the bowing. Yeah. So sometimes when there's overcompensation in the larynx, there's so much tension that it actually pulls the vocal cords apart or there's atrophy, you know, disuse atrophy or something and the vocal cords are not coming together. And so you have to kind of manage those things first. The first day of treatment focuses on, it's pretty systematic, which is nice. I love that. It focuses on respiration and how to breathe appropriately before you even get into how to do the exercises. Yeah. I love a system. Okay. So you start with respiration. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We learn how to breathe. Their assessment is very comprehensive. It includes things like a frailty scale and a geriatric depression screener to really see if they are a good candidate, if they are going to have good HEP adherence, you know, because they have to go home and do the exercises. (laughs) Right, right, right. And if they have, if they're fatigued, they don't have good enough endurance, cognitive difficulties, things like that, maybe this is too much for them. And I I have come across that before where they actually passed the assessment and I said, all right, this is going to be, let's do this. And then he just couldn't keep up with it. So we kind of downgraded his treatment plan and did some more simple tasks. But if they are good candidates, then the outcomes are pretty, pretty great. What can a client expect who's going to with presbyphonia who's going to go through this training? Yeah. As far as outcomes go. That's a good question. So if they are a good candidate and if they do their home practice, they will see a change. They'll have more loudness, potentially less hoarseness and roughness, more duration in terms of longevity of their communication. But it's also important to remember that it is age-related change. You're not going to give them their 20-year-old voice again. Right. <laughs> so it's important <laughs> to tell them that. Like Set, set those expectations. Exactly. Yes. You may still have some hoarseness, but your voice is still going to improve. And so just keeping them motivated, I guess, but having realistic expectations. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So can you tell us about some of the other exercises in that program? Yeah, sure. 
let's see if I can, if I can remember, I've been on maternity leave for four months. So, <laughs> well, and congratulations, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I think when we first spoke, um, he was just three months. So yeah, uh, a whole month has passed. Oh, yeah. Four months is a very fun age. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. It's fascinating, but I'm sleep deprived. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh, well, hopefully you'll be getting some sleep soon. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. But I can do my best here. So and speaking to that man, y'all should have Dr. Edie Happner and Dr. Aaron Ziegler on here because they're the creators of Forte. And okay. Uh, they'll be able to speak to it really well. Yeah. So there are some sustained phonation tasks and some glides. So okay. trying to strengthen up the musculature and all the different pitch ranges and getting that to smooth out, hopefully. And then they use functional phrases. So kind of like with LSVT, you have 10 functional phrases, things people say often and need to be able to say well, and they do those in different, different contexts. So one is a calling voice where you say, hello, I'm Sierra, like you're calling across <laughs> to somebody. Okay. And then an authoritative voice, which is strong, but low. Hello, I'm Sierra, like that. And people think that's kind of fun or funny, but. Well, voice therapy is fun. Yeah. It's playful and mm -hmm. different for a lot of people. So those are the tasks. And then I uh, believe it ends with conversation. So rehearsing a conversation as if you're in an environment like a restaurant where you have to project and be heard with background noise. And we practice doing that in session and they practice it. I think it's five days a week is the practice plan. I cannot tell you the change I have seen. I actually, speaking of my YouTube channel, I have a before and after of one of my clients who starts out, we were away a year ago. And then it's like, we were away a year ago. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and that was like three sessions. Wow. Wow. Because our voice is so related to our identity. And um, an older adult who can't, you know, who's talking really low is probably not going to feel like themselves as much as when they get their voice back, they feel like themselves again. I love that you brought that up. Our voice. I mean, people say the eyes are the window to the soul. I think the voice tells its story. Like it's, you're right. It's who we are. When you meet someone and you hear them talk, suddenly you have this huge impression of who they are. Mm -hmm. And so I can't imagine what it's like to suddenly not be able to express myself the way that I feel. Right. It's huge. Well, even thinking of actually practicing that authoritative voice for someone who doesn't have the ability to project that authoritative voice and they are just, let's say they're in a store and they need some help. Yeah. Or there's like a customer service situation and they, you know, need something. They can't speak and project with authority. That's hard when, when they right. don't feel that way inside, but their yeah. voice isn't matching the, the inside. So Right. Definitely. It's very impactful. And it's something that you would think to practice that, you know, oh, if I, I was at the grocery store and they couldn't hear me and I couldn't get the right help. I'm going to practice that voice. People don't think to do that. So they need a speech pathologist to give them the structure. <laughs> this is mm -hmm. what we need to rehearse to get your voice to where you want it. Well, and they have a good one in Eugene. That's for sure. <laughs>
So what are other considerations? Are there any counter besides the frailty or possible dementia where they can't keep up with the home exercise program? Are there, are there any other contraindications where you would say, no, this isn't going to be the right program for you? I don't know if there's more, a lot more to add to that. I would definitely look at their endurance levels and their willingness to participate and their motivation. So motivational interviewing voice is a lot of work and some people just want us to fix it. So if we have the conversation, you know, this is going to be five days a week. It's on you to make this change. If they don't seem like they'd be adherent, that's probably not for them. You're right about the cognition and support system. Do they have a support system to help them with that? Again, concomitant stuff. Do they have other things going on? How's the respiratory status? Do they need to get checked out by someone else first, a different allied professional things like that. And do you always have a referral from an ENT? I know most people come through the ENT, but before you start voice therapy, you always have that referral. I don't always have it. Yeah. Sometimes people just self-refer. And then I usually ask to have that scope done before I treat them, especially if you're doing something like increasing the intensity of the voice, because you don't want to make any problems worse. And do you need that, like a prescription for voice therapy in order for insurance to cover it? Not usually. If they have Medicare, it's based on medical necessity. So I do have to have their primary care provider sign off on my plan of care, though. And so that's just something that's done with all of my clients, regardless of their insurance, just so their medical team knows what's going on and and knows my impression of how they're doing. Oh, that's great. Well, it's Great to have the team approach. Let's see. All right. Anything else you want to add about presbyphonia before we get into some other fun topics? It's a new treatment. I think I love the approach. I love that it uses a dynamic approach as opposed to like, just do these exercises for four weeks. So I'm just a, I'm a cheerleader for it. I don't get paid to say this, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I just want to remind our live audience, if anyone would like to ask any questions of Sierra, now is the time to do that. And if you just want to write them in the chat, you can also write them in the Q&A, but the chat is actually a little bit easier for me to see. I'll move my computer so I can see the Q&A too, if someone prefers that. So please write your questions. And in the meantime, I have a few questions for you. Can you think of a case study, being HIPAA compliant, of course, where someone really had their quality of life improved due to the voice therapy specifically for presbyphonia? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, I'll use the woman who is on my YouTube channel because she was a success story. When people are dedicated to doing that therapy, it makes a huge difference. So she was talking with that really gravelly, weak voice and that affects her relationships and her interaction with her husband. And a lot of these people, their spouses are also older and have hearing loss. Right. And so that's a very good point. She went from, you know, zero to 60 and was able to express herself and was very thankful and pleased with the treatment. And how long was her treatment? She was seen three times over the course of probably six weeks. 
Wow. Mm -hmm. But she had six weeks of practice five times a week. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's key. One of my favorite examples of this was with Speak Out. Speak Out and LSBT are also really amazing therapies for people with Parkinson's and also other clients with voice disorders. But it was a young onset person with Parkinson's. And after their first session, I often see improvements after the first session with Speak Out. The wife messaged me and said, my husband ordered his beer on his own for the first time in a long time last night. Normally I have to order for him because they went to like, you know, one of our, we have a lot of micro brews here in Eugene and that just melted my heart. Just loved it. He got to walk up to the counter and order his own beverage. Yes. (laughs) Again, feels like himself again. Yeah. Yeah. And that's after one, one session of learning how to use intent. Oh, that's great. Okay. I have a question from the audience. What is the percentage of the older population who experience presbyphonia? That is a very good question, Andrea. That is a really good question. And I wish I knew the answer. And I don't know the answer. Um, Yeah, I will have to figure that out and get back to you. Okay. Well, that is a good question. So we will get back to you and we will give Sierra's contact information at the end. Yeah. Could you speak to how a trauma in someone's life can cause a voice problem? That's a really good question. Uh, It's something that I ask most people who come into the office because even a past trauma a long time ago or a recent trauma or even a life change like a divorce or something like that can impact our voice. I just feel like there's a lot of connection between our emotions and our voice. Our mind-body connection is pretty strong. If you think about when you're getting choked up or crying, how you're, you have that globus sensation in your throat, there's a huge connection there and it's underlying our communication. And so that can be held in the body for a really long time. And we even, we have um, psychosomatic voice disorders or psychogenic voice disorders where going to counseling is, you know, one of the primary ways we treat it. And are you usually the person to diagnose that? So someone comes in and with a referral from an ENT or maybe not with a referral from an ENT, but they come in for voice therapy. That's a good question because usually for insurance, we need a medical diagnosis and a treatment diagnosis. So my treatment diagnosis can be the, you know, R49 hoarseness diagnosis if they are presenting with that voice. The medical treatment, I'll have to review their history and try and find a code that relates to the voice so I can see them and help them. But it goes both ways. Either I'll get people and they say, okay, I think this person has a conversion disorder. We don't know what else could have caused this or they're self-referring and everything checks out with the scopes and maybe they do disclose some sort of event or anxiety or stress. Either way, we're treating what we see. So the treatment often is very similar with these clients. And if it is something psychogenic or maybe a conversion disorder, often if we say this clears up after three therapy sessions, usually. So that's really good news. You know, let's do this. And then we can see changes that way. The change is good. 
That's yes. great. Okay. So that was a very good question. And talking about the, the mind-body connection, every time I read the bios or read the be- at the beginning of every podcast, I'm nervous. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and right? you can hear it in my voice. I couldn't um, hear it at all. <laughs> well, if you go back and listen, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can right. hear it. There's a big difference in my voice at the beginning of a podcast versus the end when, you know, it's like, oh, okay. Well, it, everything went well. The technology worked, and yes, um, you know your voice changes. I mean, just when, when you're relaxed, your voice is different. So me too, um, me too. Yeah, my my heart will be pounding, and my respiration will be kind of short and labored. But that gives us clues as to how we can help people, including ourselves. So I was using my. I was nervous, and I was using my little straw to do some slow breathing to get my respiration slow. So. I wish I knew more about it and I'm going to go on a path to learn more, but the vagus nerve Mm -hmm. is so connected to fight or flight. And I think learning more about that will help my clients because, you know, when it comes, if you have a voice disorder, it's usually worse if you're stressed or nervous, right? Exactly. Exactly. And so learning how to have those techniques and strategies to support, support our healthy use of our voice is important. Well, that makes sense because that's true for everyone. If you're stressed or nervous, your voice shows. So if you have a voice disorder on top of that, then it's going to be worse. So that makes sense. Okay. Let's talk about something fun. Your YouTube channel, 2.4 million views. I mean, (laughs) that is impressive. And just to speak to how humble Sierra is, I said, I wanted to mention that she's like, Oh no, (laughs) maybe not. Yumi and I were like, Oh yes, you need to toot your own horn. I mean, that is really impressive. And it's not, it's, you've had it for a while, but 2.4 Yeah. 2.4 million views is still a lot. How how long have you had it? And can you tell us a little bit? I know I would love to have you come back to teach people about YouTube channels and using them for speech therapy. But in the few minutes that we have, just give us a little brief overview of how it came to be. I think I started it in 2017 when I started my private practice. And I did it just to have an online presence. And just so if people click there, they'd say, oh, she's a real person. She's a professional. But it turned into kind of a global thing where people all over the world started watching my resonance video. I got, I don't know how, but it got a ton of views and people have a lot of concerns about their swallowing, their aphasia, their voice, and they don't know how to get help, especially if they're in a different country that maybe they don't have good access to speech therapists. And I put out a video a week for a year Okay. And if I hadn't set that goal for myself, I wouldn't have done it. But I think doing it every single week was helpful in its success. Now it's more occasional, but yeah, it's, it's really popular. People want help. They just want help with this stuff. So it's definitely for the general population, but I do get speech therapy students. My own students will find it, you know, and go, I saw you on YouTube. Um, oh, that's great. It's not meant for us. It's meant for people just to learn about speech therapy. Okay. Okay. And do you track the watchers? Like, is there any way when they give you the thumbs up, do they say I'm a lay person or I'm a professional or, you know, what, is there any way to track that? I can't really know that, but looking at the analytics has helped me to know what people are interested in. 
and what they're searching for. And so that just like we do in our practice, like there's a need for voice therapy in town. So now I'm doing it. Like I got into speech therapy to do TBI and now I'm doing something totally different. Same with the channel. People are interested in things like swallowing and voice therapy. So I've kind of focused my energies there. Well, that's wonderful. Well, that is exciting. And we would love to have you back to talk about that. And now a little bit about another pet project of yours, Rowdy Readers. I just love that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I created, so I got a grant from the American Parkinson's Disease Association to start Rowdy Readers. I just love working with people with Parkinson's. They're so lovely. And I wanted to do something fun for them that was different and less kind of you know, intensive therapy based, and that was Mm -hmm. functional. So what we did was we met four times and we practiced exercises. And then we ended with reading. And I connected with a local school, and they went and read with their new voices to first graders. So that intergenerational thing where everyone's benefiting from it, it was amazing. I I would love for people to to contact me about how to do that because I think it would benefit lots of people. Now, did they go as a group like on one day or did they rotate through a classroom like every Monday or how did that work? So they went in two different groups, two different times to one classroom. So the students saw them twice, but they went once. And if it grows, then we'll change it up and maybe get to go more but that's what we started. Interesting. And did they tell the kids, the first graders, like that they had Parkinson's or do any Parkinson's education along with the reading? Yeah. So we had disclosures. We practiced disclosures, you know, saying might have a shaky voice, but I'm, I'm going to read you today the story. I'm so happy to be here, you know, just to kind of get that out of the way. So the students have some education as well and let them know that, the kids might ask them questions or may say something about their tremor or their voice. And it's okay to engage them in that conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to make sure we don't have any more questions from the audience before I asked my last question. Tell us about your Parkinson's choir. I just love that. Yeah, gladly. So I am really engaged in the Parkinson's community here in town. And pre-COVID, I went to the support group. And heard from members that there used to be a choir, but it was no longer and they wanted one. So I work at the University of Oregon in their SLP program and they let me start a choir and I connected with the music school. So we have music students who lead the songs and then CDS grad students who lead the education, warm-ups, cool-downs. And they also get to help educate the music students on Parkinson's and things like that. It's such what a, a wonderful relationship. Yeah. And the the music students also benefit because they get to learn how to adapt their teaching approaches and, you know, things like that. And the people with Parkinson's absolutely love it. And how many people are in the choir? We have about five people. So it's a little small, but it's over Zoom and that. I mean, it's good and bad. Some people prefer that because they can do it from the living room, but other people aren't interested. And Right, right. Well, and some people couldn't get there if it were in person, you know, not only not, you know, not only prefer to be in the living room, but they can't physically get there. <laughs> exactly. So. 
I hope to do a hybrid approach when we can, you know, in person and you can zoom in if you want to. Oh, that's you know? great. That's great. You have such great ideas. So very it's, creative. It's, it's an illness. I cannot stop. <laughs> it's a problem. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have to have you come back and talk about Parkinson's. That would be yeah. great. I would love to. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so do you, Well, before we close, do you have anything else that you want to add? No, I would say I am, you know, about to launch an online voice course. If you want to refer some of your clients or occupational voice users to the website, it's not currently launched yet, but it will be. I appreciate the opportunity. This is my first podcast. So thanks so much for having me on. Well, thank you so much. And also I wanted to want to tell the speechtherapypd.com listeners that you have some great handouts that you included and resources. So those are all available on the website under this course. So if you have not downloaded that, please do. And here, another one of our listeners just said, what a great way for interprofessional collaboration. Absolutely. Um, talking about the choir. So we learn from each uh, other. Yes, exactly. So, well, thank you so much. We, uh, I can't believe this is your first podcast because you... <laughs> You really seem to know what you were talking about. Oh, so good I job. I talk to cameras a lot. So <laughs> there's that. Thank you so much. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. Your overview of voice therapy and strategies to use with presbyphonia gives our listeners evidence-based strategies for both assessment and treatment, as well as information to make an informed referral to a specialist if needed. And I'm so happy that I found my new celebrity friend on YouTube. <laughs> I look forward to to talking with you again. And as a reminder for this live episode to get live CEUs, you must log into your speechtherapypd.com account and complete the entire course content by the end of the day today. All right. Well, thank you. I look forward to talking with you again and enjoy that baby and get some sleep. Thanks. I will try my best. Thanks so much. Okay. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us here at Keys for SLPs providing keys to open new doors to better serve our clients throughout the lifespan. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA's CEUs for this episode and all podcasts offered by speechtherapypd.com. Until next time, I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines. Keep up the good work.